0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, November 10th, and we're talking about Snap's vanishing market cap. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, how's it going? We finally got started after a couple false starts uh, beginning (laughs) the podcast.
1: It's uh, going pretty well.
0: Thanks thanks to Heather for all her editing help today. Uh, <laughs> we are pre-recording today's show and, and that led to us uh, having a couple goofs as we introed and made sure that we got the dates right. But we're here now and, and we're ready to talk. Uh, Evan, we missed getting the chance to do the Apple show together because I was traveling a little bit, but we do have the treat of Talking Snap and this is another company that we love to discuss and we eagerly await the quarterly updates that we get from them.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty bad quarter. And uh, I mean, that's good news for me since I'm short, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess we'll throw that out there now. I think people that have been following us for a while know, but you you do have some options on Snap. Um, And again, in the interest of transparency, we're recording a show on Wednesday. Uh, We have our Annual Fool our company get together, uh, where we go over some business meeting stuff, and that's Thursday and Friday this week. So if anything crazy happens uh, between Wednesday and Friday, uh, it will not be reflected in uh, the discussion that we have today. Um, we will hit it next week, though, for sure. Um, so looking at the actual earnings, uh, yikes! Right? I mean, like this is this is a company we've been following closely for a while. Uh, it's one that we're always excited to see, and and the quarterly numbers looked pretty ugly again, Evan.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty pretty rough. I mean, revenue was up to 207.9 million, but uh, that was well short of analyst expectations, which were closer to 237 million, I think. Um, the lot, the net loss was, you know, in particular, more than tripled to so like 440 million, which is huge, um, you know, widening of the net loss down there. And I think it's kind of ridiculous that on their press release, Snap. You know, under percent change, they put NM for not meaningful, which is something they've done in the past. You know, where they're saying, "Oh, this change percent change is not meaningful," but I think it's pretty meaningful.
0: <laughs> yeah, once you start to get into the hundreds of millions of dollars, it, it's hard to think of that as something that's kind of negligible.
1: Right, and it, and it's not just because you're comparing like negative numbers, which you know, I guess in theory you could, because they they did provide percent change information for other negative numbers. So there's really no real reason why they, there's no good explanation for why they would consider this not meaningful because net loss, their net losses are just humongous at this point, and this is this company is so young, and that is very important. It's very meaningful for investors. Uh,
0: one thing that is certainly meaningful is their daily active user count. Um, that grows sequentially to 178 million, which was also shy of consensus estimates. Um, and what's interesting here is. The consensus estimate from the market was about 182 million daily active users, but uh, the number that they posted was also short of the company's own estimates. They did not say what that was, but in the conference call they mentioned that they were kind of disappointed in what they posted on the user side. Um, and I focus on this here because we don't get a lot in the ways of guidance from management with this company, and so for them to admit that they kind of missed the mark on a core business metric like this um, is nice to hear. You know, not it's not nice to hear that they missed it, but it's nice to hear that they at least acknowledge that they missed it.
1: Right, and then they also kind of attributed – they had this weird kind of dodge, and they attributed the shortfall to kind of the way they calculate DAUs, which is different than other companies. So, you know, they report DAUs based on average throughout the entire quarter. So, they said that, you know, September is really strong, but July and August were you know not so strong. So, that kind of hurts the average that they report. But that's the kind of, you know, their own – I mean, they're the ones that choose how they report their metrics, so why are they trying to blame reporting on it when – they choose reporting and you know just for context facebook reports daily active users based on the average of the last month of the quarter um and it's not like there's a right or wrong way necessarily to report this but it's just different and you know and when investors compare these two you know these dau numbers from these different companies it's just good to know the differences in how they report it but it's just a weird kind of like they're trying to blame the Blame it on how they report, but they're the ones that choose how they disclose it. So it's
0: like. <laughs> like, you, you guys, you're the making the rules, right? Like, you, you can decide how you want to calculate this metric <laughs> yeah. as long as you tell us how you're doing it. So, yeah, it does seem a little silly that that's what they're blaming it on. Um, not surprisingly, uh, the market was pretty down on the stock after this release, given all the disappointing numbers they posted. Uh, at points, it was down roughly 10%. So the really. I mean, it was down, oh,
1: it was down, you know, 15, 20%. And then this morning they had. Uh, it, it, they actually recovered some of the losses because 10 cent disclosed that they have now have a 12% stake in snap. And anytime you have a big investor coming in um, to you know scoop a big stake in the company, that's, that's certainly a big vote of confidence and that kind of helps mitigate some of the losses. but you know, of course throughout the day, it kind of continued to trend lower, but that is something that is kind of a meaningful development. That you know, Chinese tech giant Tencent is is in here, to, you know, taking a passive stake, and it it does appear that they just took a, a passive stake in open market purchases, as opposed to you know some type of special offering directly from the company.
0: So they obviously like something that they see here. Uh, I think it's pretty clear. You and I don't. <laughs> but um, looking at the company's results, I think one of the big things that we should focus on here is the switch to the auction-based ad fill. Um, we're starting to see the impact of that now. And really, that's going to be the story for Snap for the next couple quarters.
1: Right, so they launched their self-serve ad platform earlier this year. I want to say it was in May, I believe, or March. Uh, but they've been working on it for the past year or so. And this really has the potential to help them scale because that now you don't have to have your all your ad sales going through a direct sales force, which is certainly very labor-intensive. It's very expensive. Uh, and this way, if you can sw- switch to kind of a self-serve um, ad platform that's auction based um, you can really automate the process a lot more and you know that definitely helps in terms of the scalability.
0: It helps you reach a lot more businesses right At the end of the day it gets more advertisers access to the platform.
1: Right. I think they said that the the entry level ad pricing went down by I think they said three orders of magnitude, which would be like a thousand times <laughs> which is you know that's a pretty big uh, reduction in terms of you know the minimum cost that it, it takes a potential advertiser to buy in and you know test out this platform.
0: And, and this is something that you do wanna see a business doing. Like and and there's this good quote from Imran Khan, the company's chief strategy officer from the conference call where he says, you know, as we transition more and more of our business to auction, this had a meaningful impact on our overall pricing. It diminishes revenue in the short term, it builds the foundation for long term scalable revenue. As we onboard more advertisers and multiple advertisers compete for the same ad impressions, we should see higher pricing. And so when you look at their results, you kind of have to keep this in mind. You know, for as bearish as we've been on this company, um, this is a move in the right direction for them because it will allow more advertisers to play on the platform. The short term hit of that is you're going from these kind of negotiated uh, big ticket ad buys that are handled by sales reps to a market based ad system. And because of that, uh, with supply and demand factors, um, you know, the, the price is going to fluctuate a little bit more and you lose some of the control there.
1: Right. I definitely think it's, it's critical for them to, to have done this uh, just in terms of just the ability to scale, because, you know, like we've been talking about, it's just, if you're, all your ad sales are going through sales reps, it's just, you can't scale that very well. It's so labor intensive, but having an automated kind of allows you to do that. But, you know, how this plays out going forward is really, and how they execute on actually, you know, building this platform and attracting advertisers to the platform is really going to be what it boils down to. Because, I mean, this is just like the bones, right? It's the foundation, but that's, You know, it's not over yet. I mean, it's still definitely a lot more to go.
0: And when we talk about, uh, we have this very similar conversation when we talk about Twitter and when we talk about Facebook and Google to the same extent. Um, You know, when you're looking at an ad-based business, a digital ad-based business, the main drivers for what goes into your revenue is the number of ads you serve up and the price that you charge for those ads, right? So the things that you're going to be watching now that we're moving to this auction-based system is, you know, what do impressions look like and what do prices look like. And so, for this most recent quarter, we saw impressions were up 400% year over year and 60% sequentially. Prices were down 60% year over year and down 20% sequentially. So, um, those are numbers that you're going to want to be paying attention to to get a sense of. You know, are advertisers flocking to the platform? Uh, are they rolling out more ads on the platform and taking advantage of inventory there? And then also, you know, prices tend to follow ROI. So, you know, if advertisers are seeing a good bang for their buck, um, you're going to see some floor uh, with prices, and then probably some steady rise. And you know, that's what we've seen with Facebook. That's not really what we've seen with Twitter.
1: Right. And I think like the key is going to be, you know, can they actually bring a bunch of advertisers to this platform? And part of that will also be de- delivering on measurement tools and, and, and analytics and kind of showing the advertisers w- whether or not these ads actually work. And that's also another thing where Snap is still very early on. I mean, they're still brand new to this, all of this stuff. And whether or not they can actually do that is, you know, pretty, is, 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 it's going to boil on execution in the future. And it's nowhere near, you know, determined at this point if they can actually pull this off.
0: And if you're looking for kind of what to expect in the coming quarters, management did say to kind of expect more of the same. So increasing impressions as more advertisers get on board, but prices should continue to go down due to auction dynamics and and that transition there that they're making. A few quarters from now, though, we'll kind of have a better feel for you know do prices find a floor and um, do we continue to see advertisers coming. So this is something that's going to play out over the next couple quarters, I think.
1: Right, right. Well, we'll just have to keep an eye on it, see how it grows.
0: Yeah, so so I mentioned that they do not really do much to help the street with uh, with guidance and what to expect, you know, with their top and bottom line numbers. Um, one thing I do want to check in on is way back, I think this was g- during the IPO roadshow, or it was when they were book building. It, it was something like that. But I saw these reports. Um, I believe it was from a presentation deck that Snap would hit somewhere between 500 million and 1 billion dollars in revenue in 2017. And you saw a lot of outlets kind of rightfully. Uh, anchoring to that one billion number as this you know kind of stretch goal um, and, and kind of a big flashy number for this new platform to hit as it begins to monetize. This is really our best ballpark of expectations versus reality for a business because they haven't provided us with quarter-to-quarter guidance. And if you look back at the first three quarters uh, so far, um, Snap has booked just over 500 million in revenue. It's about 540 million in revenue. So if they're going to come close to hitting that stretch 1 billion, they're going to have to have a ridiculous Q4. Which is to say, I don't (laughs) really expect that to happen. Yeah.
1: (laughs) They won't. And, I mean, generally speaking, I think, you know, for a company this young, guidance is extremely important. I mean, the market trades on expectations, and companies have a pretty big role in really kind of course-correcting and giving some direction to analysts when they set up their estimates. And analysts are the ones that set the market's expectations. So, by not providing guidance and leaving analysts up to their own devices to kind of come up with their own numbers. I mean, then you're going to see, like, a, a pretty wide spectrum, a really wide range of estimates. And, like, why it just doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't do this, unless they simply can't do it because they're so young and they don't have the ability to, to, to forecast with with much you know, visibility or something. I, I don't know. But, I mean, the fact that they don't give any guidance is really frustrating for investors that were, we're for a company at this stage, it's really important to be able to give some type of forecast.
0: And the non-guidance really also helps explain why we see the market reactions that we do with the stock, right? Because you know, basically we're going off of what street analysts, through their own inputs, have put together uh, for top and bottom line expectations. There is no company input. Um, it's much more likely that there's going to be some differences in what the company actually reports, because they're not providing any of the inputs for these models. And so, that's where you get these really big moves once new results come out, You know, where you have a stock moving 15%, um, just because there wasn't a lot to hang your hat on there.
1: Um, yeah, I worked in investor relations very briefly, um, and I know that you know there is a lot of back-and-forth and communication between. IR departments and analysts to you know when they have questions you can help clarify things and just kind of you know you, you can't there's a limit to how much you can say to the analysts but you can't you know the, uh, the goal is to give them at least some type of direction on if their if their estimates are off base and and Snap is not doing that it doesn't seem like
0: it's, it's another way that they are making things a little tougher for for everyone else to get a sense of what is going on there um, something that was a major theme on their conference call was the idea that there's probably going to be a major redesign coming to the core snap app. Um, the big idea here is they're going to be trying to make the app more usable and make content discovery a little bit easier for users.
1: Well, I think this is a pretty big announcement on the product front because you know they've they're taking this long-standing criticism that Snapchat is hard to use, the interface is unintuitive and it's just, you know, it's off-putting when the first time you try it. And this is a pretty big reversal because just a few months ago, they basically dismissed these concerns and were more or less like, oh, we're just focusing on young people who are good at technology. (laughs) And, you know, CEO Evan Spiegel made this weird analogy about trying to teach his mother, his grandmother, how to use email and how he gave up on it. And it's kind of like, okay, are you just going to give up on trying to, bring more people into the platform. So the fact that he's, you know, they're acknowledging this and, and they are going to redesign it to try to make it easier to use is a pretty big change. And it's also a pretty big risk, and they are up front saying we do think this is going to hurt our business in the short term, but the hope for them at least is that this will help user growth in the long run.
0: Is your view there that the risk is alienating existing users?
1: Right, I mean, it's kind of like what you see with Twitter, right? I mean, every time Twitter has some product changes, the community kind of freaks out and overreacts. Um, but, you know, if, if the goal is to kind of make the platform or service more, you know, more appealing to mainstream consumers, I think that's worth the risk of a little bit of backlash from some of your hardcore users. Because, I mean, the real question is, if you make these product changes, are your users going to leave or are they just going to adapt? And, you know, it's way too early to know because we don't even know what this redesign looks like for Snapchat. Um, but I mean Twitter we can you know we know for a fact it is helping them I mean they've made a lot of big product improvements They just made a huge one last week with just 280 280 character limit and whether or not these types of product changes can Translate into user growth is really you know how you should gauge if that's a success or not
0: well, and when you think about usability right you mentioned the the uh, story of explaining email to his grandmother well um, you look at the success of an Instagram or a Facebook, and and hitting you know um, close to a billion or you know two billion monthly active users, um, that comes from being able to cross over demographics and get into uh, the the older groups that maybe aren't quite as tech savvy. And so you know you can build like a really great platform for hundred or maybe two hundred million um, users if you focus on stuff that is really appealing to tech-savvy folks, but to really break out and have a much larger addressable market for your user base, you're going to have to have something that makes sense to most people.
1: Right, exactly. And I mean, another thing that they're working on that's pretty big is that the uh, Snapchat has always had a lot of really annoying performance problems on Android, which, of course, is the largest mobile platform on Earth by unit volumes. Um, So, that's a pretty big part of the market. And they've historically had a lot of problems with it because they've never really focused on Android. You know, they've always focused on the iPhone for development, and the iPhone app is a lot better. But you know, again, if you want to get these big numbers, Android is where the numbers are. Um, so you know, they are, they're, they're also redesigning their Android app to, to really focus on the performance. But of course, Android development is really fragmented because there's you know tens of thousands of different Android phones out there. Versus you know a dozen iPhones, <laughs> so that's a much bigger engineering um, task, which kind of leads into this other thing that just happened, which is their chief engineer or their um, VP, of, their, their head, the head of engineering just quit the company.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of tough to say we're going to be redesigning and and giving our app a facelift and making it a little bit easier to use. And then see that someone that is the head of engineering is leaving the company.
1: <laughs> yeah, they literally were like, "This is going to require considerable engineering resources." And then just yesterday, the engineering chief Tim Sen, who Snap pushed from Amazon back in 2013 when you know Snap was only two years old, he, and he was a huge win because he's you know really good you know uh, software development executive. Uh, he told them yesterday, like on the day of earnings, that he's leaving at the end of the month. <laughs> so that is definitely not does not bode well considering the fact that they're, they're, they have all these hugely important product you know, d- developments that they need to be focusing on, and now their top engineer is quitting. <laughs> uh,
0: one, one other thing that just simply does not seem to be going very well for this company is the spectacles segment, uh, this product line for them. And we really can't talk about Snap without briefly discussing it, because Snap does consider itself a camera company, uh, at least according to management. But you look at the camera eyewear line, and I know, Evan, you in particular are really not too thrilled with some comments that CEO Evan Spiegel made about a month ago because of how they seem to stack up to business results we saw from this most recent release, which really aren't, weren't all that good.
1: Right. So a month ago, Spiegel spoke at a Vanity Fair conference, and he told everyone very publicly that Spectacle sales uh, First of all, he confirmed a unit sales figure, which is saying that they've sold about 150,000 units to date as of you know a month ago. But he also said that those sales were ahead of their internal expectations, which, you know, sounds good at the time, right? But over the past month, we've seen these reports that Snap has hundreds of thousands of units of unsold inventory sitting in warehouses, which leads, you know, leads to, okay, well, if they have all this unsold inventory, they're going to have to write it down. Um, so that was pretty expected. And of course, last night they confirmed that, yes, they are ha- incurring a forty million one one-time charge related to Spectial's inventory, and they had a bunch of purchase commitments related to hardware. Had to cancel those and had some fees and you know, expenses related to canceling those, and to to kind of put these numbers more into context, they're writing out of 40 million in the first half of 2017. Their total spectacles revenue was about 13 million, so they're writing off three times as much as they actually sold in the first half of this year, and unit sales declined from Q1 to Q2. So. There's no way that these sales have exceeded expectations, and, and it it really just seems like Spiegel was misleading investors last month when he said that they were beating expectations when clearly they're not because you ordered a ton of these things, and you don't order things unless you expect to sell them. I mean, it's just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, you know, you can't have both ways.
0: Yeah, you're not going to build out inventory you don't expect to sell, right? And so, <laughs> so
1: I mean, he mentioned like. You know they overestimated early demand, and they had you know they did place a lot of orders that for components that have long lead times. So that does make some sense in helping explain you know the 29 million dollars of purchase commitments they had at the end of Q2, but it doesn't explain how the fact that they built up this much inventory. So I, I mean I know that they kind of get away with it, but. I still think he was really misleading um, investors by saying that. and I actually submitted a, an official complaint to the SEC last night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look at that you just being an advocate for the average investor. I
1: mean, probably won't won't come of anything, but you know it, it's still troubling on principle the fact that he I mean in the, the, the most ironic thing about this whole thing is that on literally on the same day that he said, the the sales were exceeding expectations. He also said that he needs to communicate better with investors. So, it's like, okay, you're realizing that being a public company has so much more regulatory scrutiny, much more regulations around communications, disclosures, and you're saying you want to get better, and then you turn around and lie and say that these things are doing better than you hoped, when now, a month later, it's demonstrably false that you're well below your expectations.
0: And, and And I think the thing that you have to remember with this, too, is like, Spectacles are really not a part of the thesis for this company, right? So, like, like yes, um, like we're we're kind of nitpicking here, um, but for him to like be overstating their impact or, or, or what's going on with them and and how successful they are as a line, uh, and you think about the grand scheme of where their revenue is coming from. Um, it's just an annoying thing to see from management more than anything else, uh, and you you couple the success and or the lack thereof in this segment with uh, you know some news that you know they had some drone ambitions a little while ago and then decided to walk that back, um, and and they've made some major changes on their hardware team. Uh, we talked about when we went through their S1 how we felt like their hardware ambitions were a little bit misplaced. Uh, I think that this is just kind of being borne out right in front of us.
1: Right, exactly. And, and I mean, you're right that, you know, currently hardware revenue is kind of meaningless. It's, it's really not materialist. It's negligible in the grand scheme of things. But this is, again, another kind of self-inflicted situation where Snap themselves has said that hardware is going to be important to the f- future, maybe in, you know, a decade or 10 years you know, or so. And, you know, they want to basically have more control over how the Snapchat experience is delivered to users, which, you know, on a strategic level makes some sense. But, they're the ones that are basically trying to emphasize that hey, we want to get more into hardware and that's why these hardware you know missteps and mistakes are you know that's why they, they matter more because they're the ones that said they matter. I mean if, if they had never if they had always been like this hardware is kind of just the side little fun thing, it's not really a big deal, then investors wouldn't care that much about it. but the fact that they are the ones that say it's going to be important in the future that just underscores you know when they mess up now that you know do they really have a good chance at, you know fast forward a few years like are they actually going to be able to develop compelling hardware? It I, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough for them to build out the engineering team to out innovate a lot of these very deep pocketed tech companies that they're going to be fighting, right? I mean, we've talked about it in the past, the difference between um, you know, Apple's engineering team and Snap's engineering team. It's it's a David and Goliath type fight.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's really hard to imagine them being compelling hardware is extremely hard. And <laughs> they're just now realizing that and they're paying the price.
0: Yeah. Um, Evan, you have put together some really excellent coverage on Snap uh, over on Fool.com. You already have several pieces up on the site covering earnings, the Specto's controversy that we just detailed. Um, and Listeners, if you want any of that, just shoot us a note. And we'll be happy to forward it along. Um, do you have any other pieces on Snap in the hopper that folks can look forward to?
1: Well, I think I have one scheduled for tonight about um, Tim Sen quitting the
0: company, which hasn't published yet, but you know, we touched on that earlier. And t- when you say tonight, you mean Wednesday, so that will be available right. if you are <laughs> listening to this episode on Friday or any time thereafter. And so, listeners, if you want any of that coverage, uh, just shoot us a note, and we'll be sure to forward it along to you. Um, Evan, anything else before I let you go?
1: No, I mean, it's just it's a good time to be short. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess so. Uh, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at pool.com or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out The Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy selling anything based solely on what you hear. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening.